Welcome back, listeners. OMG, have we got a treat for you. We are honored to have this week's guest on our show. We felt like we met a rock star. He was there to help shape our modern-day ADA laws. He was also the co-director of an amazing Netflix documentary, Crip Camp, and so much more. You're going to love this episode, so don't miss out. Please remember, if you love the show, to share it with a friend and even let us know on social media. Thanks, and enjoy this episode with Jim Labreck. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> in this corner, Eddie Gagnon! And in the opposite corner, Kristen Gagnon! This is What's Special About Special. Uh, I wanted to say that. Well, hello there. My name's Eddie Gagnon. Eddie, I don't want to be here all night Welcome and thank you for joining us My name's Eddie Gagnon (laughs) That was perfect Kristen Your voice So we'd like to welcome to the show Jim Labreck Uh, You are a filmmaker, a disability rights activist And the director of the Netflix documentary Crip Camp Yeah, he co-directed it with Nicole Noonan And co-produced it with her as well Awesome. So welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, we're super I'm excited really to have to you here. This is cool. Thank yes. you. <laughs> this is uh, really exciting for us. We've been real excited to kind of have you on for us. This is like we kind of had it when we first started kind of picturing the podcast and what it would be. We had this dream guest list of like, I think five or 10 people that we were like, one day we want to do, we want to make sure we interview this person, this person, this person, and definitely on the top of our list was you. Um, I will say for sure, (laughs) right when we started the podcast or just dreaming of the podcast, we saw Crip Camp and the first 10 minutes of Crip Camp, you know, you're featured in it and you come right on and you talk about, and we'll get into it as we talk but you talk about your disability and that you have spina bifida and our son has spina bifida. So for us, the minute the words came out of your mouth, we were like, we were like yelling at our son, having him come in the room. It was like up on the screen in the living room. I mean, it's such a small thing that there's a connect, you know, that, Oh, there's just somebody else. It should be a small thing, right? That there's just somebody else on TV that has the same disability as our child, but, or for, as him, but in our house, it's a big deal. There's not always someone that looks like you or, you know, walks like you or has something the same disability as you on a TV screen. And so in our house, that's a huge deal. And the f- well, we didn't yeah, even know what know, we were watching. Well, I mean, it is a huge deal. And one of the things that, you know, I've seen is that we lack such representation or accurate representation on TV or in the movies and that indeed I, that I mentioned this in the film. I grew up really not seeing anybody like me on TV, except for, you know, telethons where they were using pity to raise funds for this charity or that charity. Yes. How old, how old is your son? He's eight now. Far up. Yeah. Great. Yeah. It was super, you know, and we honestly, we turned on the documentary having zero clue what the documentary was about. We really thought it was just about a camp, which in in itself was exciting for us. 
to think, oh, there's this, you know, there's this group of people who started a camp and, you know, no idea where turn the documentary takes and, and the advocacy and, and everything you guys have done. And so, you know, so that, you know, we do want to get, we want to get into that as well. Cause I want to make sure that we kind of talk to our listeners about everyone we talk to. We're like, you have to see this documentary. You have to hear everything. I, did you even know the story behind this and how this or all like, we already seen it. Yes. Yeah. Or people are like, yeah, of course we saw that. And we're like, well, we didn't, we need you to know all about it. Tell everybody. But so, yeah, so that was, you know, even more exciting for us. And so, you know, to start there, that, that was exciting. Um, but we really want to know from you, tell us a little bit to start about your story. Where are you from? where did you grow up? Um, tell us a little bit about you. All right. Well, I am uh, 64 years old and I grew up in Westchester County, just North of New York city. You do not and, look uh, 64, just let you know, Jim. You know, uh, you I look like great. Joke is, thank you. As I like to joke, um, my sister got the legs and I got the hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but obviously by, well, you can't see me right now, but clean living has really been my hallmark and yeah. That's not even true. That's <laughs> not even true either. Um, so I, you know, I, uh, I spent the first 18 years uh, through high school um, in, in the New York, uh, in Westchester. I was very fortunate that I had a special ed teacher who um, really encouraged my parents to try to get me into public school because there was, um, I was excelling in any, you know, in class and felt like I would do well in public school. And I, back in gosh, uh, 1962 or so, I was an experiment in uh, our school district. Wow. So, you know, and folks who've grown up on as part of the 504 or the ADA generation, you know, there were no mandates that, that, you know, kids with disabilities could go to public school to, you know, be with the non-disabled kids. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, reality, I mean, this could have been taken away from me right through high school. Yeah. Right. You know, somebody could have said, you know, I don't know, you know, I think we're wasting time educating him or ordinance what else they could have come up with. But, um, that one, that one decision and that one experiment on the part of the, Greenberg school district really saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, um, for there, I went off to San Diego to go to college, uh, in the fall of 1974. And, uh, I just wound up studying, um, uh, drama there. I was kind of into sound already. And <laughs> I uh, thought maybe I was going to become an acoustics major and then, uh, found out that it's all math and physics and you know, <laughs> oh, I, I, you know <laughs> man, oh, no now you're talking numbers what and uh so i am um, i want to you know get involved with the drama department and um really i've had uh wound up after college having a great career in regional theater um, working for the Berkeley Repertory Theater that you see in the film, but also doing sound for other uh, theaters on the West Coast, um, like La Jolla Playhouse 
and the old Globe Theater in San Diego, and even did sound effects for one show uh, at the Public Theater in New York, which was... Some of those are not small potatoes. No, it's not. <laughs> but, you know, it's like even that. So, well, you know, I take that, for example, 1982. There's no way to get a wheelchair into that building without going with steps. Yeah. And so, so not all. And, but I had worked with this uh, playwright, Des Mackinoff, who was remounting a musical that I worked on with him on the West Coast here. And he wanted me to do his sound effects. So I had to spend probably close to an hour talking to their production manager, convincing them that I could climb out of my wheelchair and get to where I needed to get to, Wow! Uh, to do my job. And, and, but I had grown up in this little house. Yeah. So my wheelchair was always in the garage. I crawled all around house, which, you know, uh, really prepared for me a life in the theater. Yeah. Right. Well, because, and I, as, for, as a theater geek myself, and I think for someone who isn't been in, you know, who's not around theater as much, it's not even traditional like a house in a theater. It's straight up and downstairs most of the time to get into those areas that you're getting into to do the sound or in that back that area. It's you're it's straight up and down those stairs a lot of the time. Those back of houses. Yeah. So I mean, I and um, it's tall. <laughs> it's a lot yeah, of stairs. I, was, I wasn't Superman, but I was in really great shape in my twenties, and so at the old you know the Berkeley Rep. Fortunately was uh, building a new theater when I joined them right after college in 1978. So for two years, I was climbing upstairs out of my wheelchair um, that were going up the outside of, you know, the theater, which is actually Mm -hmm. basically a house that had been like lifted up years ago. And it basically is your, you know, your basic beginning repertory theater Mm -hmm. space. And um, but when they moved into the this their new space in downtown Berkeley, there was an elevator. There were ramps in places, and I I, I remember looking at their their plans for the building, and I noticed this one spot that was a step, and I said, "This needs to be a, you know a ramp." And Lord knows, because if I hadn't been around, yeah. maybe that would have gotten by them. And it was like that was a ramp that I took five or six times a day at least. Yeah. You know, so uh, anyway, um, and from there I kind of moved into film, doing uh, audio for film, sound effects editing. There uh, was the time this great post-production facility uh, owned and run by Saul Zance, the movie producer. And Saul had done The English Patient and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus. And here was this great facility facility with a bunch of editing rooms and mixed stages and such. And I just started um, trying to make inroads with some of the sound supervisors there, getting them tickets to shows I did at Berkeley rep and said, let's get a beer afterwards and just developed some, you know, some, some casual friendships and such. So when I decided it was time to leave, uh, the theater, I had some people I could turn to. And fortunately I got a break and got on a show. Nice. Um, and then uh, I guess to kind of end up my resume before the the film, um, a few years later, I started my own sound company um, within the building where the film center was. And we really focused on documentary film. Yeah. And really kind of focusing on the, the loving care and the sound design 
concepts and and really looking at very thoroughly the way that I had learned in in theater. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I um, ran that company until a couple of years ago, and but Crip Camp was starting to really rev up, and um, and so now I'm, uh, you know, I'm. Crip Camp is out in the world, and it's getting a wonderful audience. And uh, Nicole and I have made the film. We are, you know, looking at other projects uh, to do, and you know, who knows? We could be doing some stuff in the future ourselves. Um, but you know, for the moment, it's uh, it's still just really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be keeping you busy now, at least for sure. Let me tell you, leading up to eighty-eight thirty. You wouldn't believe what our calendars look like, but it's like, you know, you want to say yes to as much as you can yeah. to support, support our community and, and to be there. And that there's, there's so much beyond the film itself that you see that's important to, to us on, on, on the film. And, you know, part of that is our impact campaign yeah. that we had raised funds for. And we can get into that an hour later, but, um, I, th- I think that really the thing that was most important to us was that people realize this is just one story yeah, and that, that our community has got so many other stories and so many other people. And we really focused the film on these people that went to Camp Jeanette that went on um, in their lives to be involved politically um, in, in the movement and, uh, you know, even Lionel uh, Woodridge, one of the counselors, you know, he wasn't at the 504 sit-in, but he went and, and worked um, around people with people with disabilities for many, many years. And, you know, he's been the kind of the hardest soul of the captionate spirit for so many years. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, kind of what propelled your future with you know, a, really a teacher kind of, especially a teacher kind of catapulting you into that mainstream kind of public school world. What kind of influence did your parents have? I imagine, you know, you must have some sort of parents that really motivated or just were motivated to say, listen, I we know that he's, you know, he will, he will do fine. He can do this. Like, you know, what were your parents like as far as an influence where they were just like, let's go for this. Um, you know, both my parents tried to raise me, um, certainly not ignoring the fact that I had spina bifida and that I can't walk. Um, but that they wanted me to be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to experience the world and to know how to navigate it on my own. Yeah. And, and so, and, you know, as you may remember from the film, my father gave me some very, very good advice, you know, saying, Hey, Jimmy, you know, you're going to have to be outgoing because people are not likely to come up and just strike up a conversation with you, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, there's nothing cruel about that. I mean, that's the, yeah. that's the truth. I think That's we hear truth. that time and time again, almost everybody we speak to two themes that continue to run. One is you're going to have to be your own advocate. Like you're in charge. 
someone isn't going to be in charge for you. You're going to have to be in charge of the situation for yourself. You know, whether that's with doctors, whether that's with, you know, a boss, whether that's in the world, whatever, you're going to have to be your own advocate. Someone isn't going to be that advocate for you. You know, that's number one. And two, you know, the big themes always been like exactly what you said, like, you know, and I always wonder like, is it the chicken or the egg? Like we see our son is so outgoing. We always call, we call him the mayor. You know, we say like, he's like the mayor of everything, you know, because he just, he's going to just be the energies, the light of the room. He's going to talk to everybody. He kind of runs the show. But then I always wonder, is that his natural personality or is that just how we set the tone? Because we've, he's had to kind of be that way because if he's not that way, he's kind of on his own he's going to set the tone for the room so that he is going to make friends. Cause if he does that, everyone's going to come to him that way versus if he doesn't, he's just kind of alone in the corner. It's, it almost kind of sets its own way by doing that. It, it's interesting. You know, I mean, some, some of us are just really shy in this world. Yeah. And some of us are, you know, really gregarious and outgoing. And I, I think that what's important is to recognize who your kid is, mm-hmm. um, but to encourage them, not force them necessarily, but sometimes you have to go to the deep end of the swimming pool once or twice. Yeah. You know, but that, but on the other side of it is don't, don't get in the way. Yeah. Don't, don't encourage bad habits in regards to, Gee, I'd rather just stay and watch play video games all day. Yeah. You know, like any your, any other child you may know or have, that kid needs to be out of the house. Yeah. You can be that shy, but still experience out. the world. Exactly. And yeah. I've heard stories of parents who, after, you know, their kid graduates high school, that kid's in their room playing video games. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and I don't think it's because they cannot succeed in the world. I think that parents can be overprotective. Yeah. That they can have low expectations for their kid and just want to be, you know, make sure that they're safe and never disappointed or never hurt. Yeah. Well, I think it's really easy right now. I think in general, it's easy to do that as a parent. We kind of live in a world where it's almost become the narrative in this generation to like, be a little more overprotective, but then you add on top of that. I know my experience as a parent, you add on top of that, you know, where you're, if your child comes into this world fighting, I'm on the defense to like protect them extra. Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. I'm, it's a lot harder to kind of step back and be like, you can do it. I'm not going to extra protect you. <laughs> you're like, it's really hard sometimes to kind of step back and let them, you know, almost like bite your tongue metaphorically in a way and just go, I'm just not going to do this one. He's a lot better at it than I am. Yeah. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it too. <laughs> I'll, I'll be over there drinking a beer. Let me know. Yeah. Exactly. Holler if you need yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holler. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I, I think that I did have kind of that, kind of gregarious uh, personality. Yeah. And, um, and I, uh, I met a, I met a woman, uh, there was a wonderful documentary uh, came out, gosh, maybe 15 years ago called uh, my flesh and blood. And it, uh, and it was about this woman who lives probably about 25 miles North of where I am and in Oakland, California. And she had adopted all these different kids with disabilities 
and we had my, my wife and I were heading off to Sundance Film Festival, and the film was premiering there. And we happened to be on on the same flight with this this mother who had raised adopted these kids, and we started talking about well, I have spina bifida. And she says, well, so and so in the film. You know, she's got spotted bifida. She's got this like cocktail party personality, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I don't know if that rings true for you and your boy. Yes. I mean, I think that's me. I once crawled down, you know, I, so living in the suburbs, you know, I, I like crawled out of the house onto the lawn of my next door neighbor and kept on going down the street, but knocking on the doors <laughs> and basically saying, hi, my name is Jim and I'm looking for friends. Yes. Sometimes, you know, they say, oh, this we go to like, you know, doctor's appointments and they'll say, oh, this is a, you know, a quote side effect of spine. This is a side. I'm like, well, is this like, is this amazing personality? Can we just add that to the list? Because he is everybody I meet. Like every other kid that is we're in like a group with and like that also has spina bifida have the same personality. They all have this like amazing like over the top <laughs> like they're all little mayors they all want to play with everybody they're all like ready to go nobody's shy i'm like who are all these kids well I they're feel really like running the world <laughs> in, in our son's case though you know he he gets a lot of it from me oh so oh, okay <laughs> i feel like you know yeah i can tell <laughs> <laughs> so do you think now you just kind of transition it? I mean, you know, the documentary is based a beginning based around the camp, Camp Janaid, um, Janed, Janed, right? Um, Janed. You, you were a camper there. Were you one of the, it was, were you a camper of the first kind of set of campers or was this camp around before you kind of started going there? It, it really had started in the early 1950s as a camp for, uh, kids and adults with disabilities. Oh, okay. So, so your and, group of campers were kind of just a really extra special group that kind of found each other. Well, well, you know, there's so many different things that kind of came together. Um, you know, Judy human had, um, who's in the film who, if you don't know who she is, is kind of a legendary yeah. disability <laughs> rights, uh, icon and leader. And, um, um, you know, she had been a camper there for a number of years. Okay. When I started going to camp that summer, she was on staff there. I think I think she was probably running girls teen camp or co-running it. And mm-hmm. you know, and so you know, first off, meeting Judy Human uh, is was like this incredible like lightning bolt. Yeah. Because, um, gosh, where do I begin? She had. Uh, I knew that she had filed suit to get a teaching position because she had gotten she had basically she gotten her license and everything but the new york city school district refuses refused to give her a position saying she was a fire hazard or she couldn't get the kids out or she couldn't you know help them go to the bathroom or whatever else it was yeah whatever they they were coming up with and she she prevailed in that lawsuit they they settled before it went to to uh to trial and so as a 15 year old and, and I don't remember what you were like when I was 15, you were 15, but you know, the world's not fair. I hate everybody. Yeah. Nothing's right. And I want to, it should be, should be fixed. Yeah. And, and, but as somebody with a dis- disability, especially back then, you know, there's no curb cuts. There's, there's no ramps into buildings. Like, you know, it's, 
Um, it's just really difficult to be in this world that isn't built for you. Yeah. And now I'm meeting somebody who fought back and, and prevailed. Yeah. And it's like, well, well, we, we can do that. Yeah. I mean, we're not relegated to taking whatever charity uh, we're given, but we have rights. And it was like, wow. So, and Judy started Disabled in Action in New York City. And as a teenager, I, you know, Disabled in Action was, was I think they're still around, you know, disability rights group. And I started going to meetings and, and doing things outside of, of camp. So, I mean, you have that going on and and then it's also the times the early 70s yeah you know vietnam war is still going and protests in the streets different liberation movements and and you know judy um you know she she recalls being in the bunks at night and talking about how people with disabilities needed their own movement yeah yeah and um, I, I don't think we were talking about that in the boys' bunk. I think we were <laughs> probably just talking about the girls in the girls' bunk. Yeah. But they had loftier conversations yeah. at the time. Um, but, and so, in, just in regards to talking about this group, so let me just fill in two other things. Some of the folks you see in the film, I mean, they had all gone to special school together with uh, Judy, Neil Jacobson, and Steve Hoffman. And so they were all friends from way back when Judy comes out to Berkeley to help um, run the center for independent living with Ed Roberts. It's like, it was like, she was like, had gone to another country Yeah, and she was calling, calling back to the, to the old country and saying, the ramps are paved with gold. You must come out here <laughs> because you know, there's no snow, there's curb cuts. Center for Independent Living, we help you find some attendant care or, or somebody to build a ramp or housing or help you get on SSI. And it's like, this is like a no brainer for everybody. Kind of <laughs> like reinvent the community that we experienced at camp and in New York, but out there under a lot better circumstances. In the real world, like, you know, yeah. like where you can, where it's not just a, a summer where this is looking right. like it's every day, all the time. I mean, that's what I mean. I was as wa- watching it. I was literally like watching it, thinking we're even, you know, all these years later. And I'm thinking, oh, imagine if this was just everywhere, you know, not yeah. in cities, and you're just anywhere, being like, oh, I could just pick up a phone and say, okay, what's our next step now that my, you know, now now that when he's ready for moving out on his own, where do we go? Where do we call? What's our next step? So Mm -hmm. we can transition like it should. I mean, obviously, I think any teenager needs that next step (laughs) learning and transition. But, you know, like it's the same idea. Like, what's our next step? What's our transition? And how do we kind of do that so that it's, you know, an easier transition into that real world? And the fact that that was just happening and obviously it's not easy, but it was doable on a level then when there are things way less accessible than there are now, it's doable. There, there aren't excuses. Things are a little bit more loose also. It just, there was a great sense of community and um, people really sharing resources. And, yeah. You know, gee, my attendant's sick, you know, you can call up somebody and 
yeah. usually make a connection because it wasn't a huge, I mean, Berkeley is not the biggest city in the world. So, you know, people, you know, really were really, really tight. I think that you see that kind of camaraderie and community spirit in, in our film, that that was really the secret to the success of the 504, the city and the federal building. Yeah. The 504 regulation sign. Right. And look, you know, I'm, and so, you know, gee, Jim, what's happening today? Well, let me tell you, the activists that I'm seeing today, it's the same way. Yeah. Everybody's kind of looking out for each other. Yeah. The, um, the disability justice movement uh, was something that I was not aware of until a few years ago, but it's really looking at disability rights through the lens of, of blacks and indigenous and people of color and, and folks from the LGBTQI communities. Mm-hmm. That kind of not the not, the non traditional voices of what we are used to kind of hearing from. Yeah, and and these are the people who are really doing the incredible work nowadays. They remind me of what I see in the film from the sitting. Yeah, and you know when the going got tough in Northern California, it was people there that basically um, like with COVID. Uh, there's there was a group that was started by a few people, including Stacy Milburn, called the Disability Justice Culture Club, and they they gathered and and were able to kind of do mutual aid, where you know they were bringing food and medicine and um, to people who for which leaving the house was very very dangerous. Yeah, because because of the pandemic. And um, any, anyway, I'm. Uh, I'm really happy that one of the things that Nicole and I um, were able to do is to hand our impact campaign for our film off to Stacy and another woman, Andrea Levant, and who were very, very, very knowledgeable in that community. And one of the <laughs> highlights of this was um, that we've been doing virtual crib camps every Sunday. Yeah, I saw that, were- that that just kind of... You guys were doing that every evening on Sunday. Well, evening here. <laughs> every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And it's going through the end of August. But we've had some incredible speakers and folks talking about all sorts of different issues, um, including, you know, self-care and black disabled history. And um, you might have remembered that uh, President Obama and Mrs. Obama's production company our executive producers in Crip Camp. Yeah. Well, we uh, about three or four weeks ago, um, uh, President Obama joined our our Crip Camp and uh, hung out for about almost forty five minutes or so. And and um, you know, it was it was a that's awesome. That was just a remarkable experience. There's nothing you know? like just you know he just President Obama just drops in, you know, well, no big it was, deal. It was unannounced. It was unannounced. <laughs> You know, we knew this was going to happen, but we all kept our lip, lips shut. And uh, but it was unannounced, and you know, Twitter all of a sudden goes. Bro, oh, what? I bet. <laughs> you know? But the sweetest thing really was, you know, as we often do when we're on panels, we'll describe ourselves, and and you know, so in my describe, I should probably describe myself for, you know, well, I guess we're not a. No one's losing out of the fact that they don't need to know that I'm, you know, <laughs> I got a scraggly, hat, you know, hat on and my hair is going all over the place. But President Obama, you know, did his 
description because we were on Zoom and saying, you know, I've got more gray hair than I used to, and <laughs> I'm sitting in my home <laughs> office, and I got a picture of myself and my family swimming, you know, in Hawaii where I was born. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and um, the meaning behind him doing his audio description of himself as a protocol that so many of us do um, showed such solidarity and respect and understanding um, for us. And Lord knows we could use a lot more of that. Yes. So that's, I think it means so much too that like, even just that, that short amount, of, you know, that short amount of time though, that like he's, willing to take, you know, he's not necessarily part of that community, this community, but he's willing to put the time in to kind of say, this is important to me because it's important to the world. This difference no, needs mean, to be made. Yeah. Um, it didn't hurt that Judy Hillman had worked in his administration also in the state department, but um, there you go. it wasn't the reason that he was there. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, they're, we're the first film that, uh, you know, Higher Ground is their production company. And mm -hmm. the, their first film that came out was um, American Factory, but they had purchased that kind of already made and they purchased, purchased it at Sundance. And uh, we were still, Nicole and I were still in production. We were still finishing up shooting and editing. And they came on early and the two principals at Higher Ground, uh, Priya Swaminathan and Tony Davis, they just really rolled up their sleeves with us and got the Obamas themselves looked at some cuts and gave some, you know, some notes. And so. But I, I mean, think that's what? even more important that they're like, they're not just saying, oh, here you go. Like they're, they're participating right. They're It's important to them. You're so right. I just got to edit when I called her the wrong name. Listen, this editing is taking forever. I have to go grocery shopping. Yeah. That's why you should go to Instacart right now. <laughs> they connect you with a personal shopper in your local area to deliver groceries from your favorite stores. Instacart delivers groceries in as fast as one hour. Hey, listeners, by following the link in our show notes, you help support our show. By doing this, Instacart is offering our listeners free delivery on your first order over $35. You know, and I think we all know that, you know, when we go out in the world, if, we're, if we are dealing with people who are not that familiar with disability, you know, we, we are often either willingly or, or unwillingly kind of becoming like ambassadors for the planet disabled. Yes. Yeah. And you kind of want to make it easier for the next person. And you want to explain kind of what's going on here because it's not all about braille menus and wheelchairs mm -hmm. and that it is about love and affection and, culture and sex and community exactly and not not that i'll well not that some of us will talk about sex in the first conversation but it just <laughs> depends on the situation um you know people don't know that there's a disabled community well i think that people I, identify culturally yes. as disabled 
Well, I think the thing, this, the whole, like, you know, and I know that I'm not, you know, I'm not disabled. I'm a parent of someone who's disabled and, you know, you know, we have two children that are, you know, going through their own difficulties and, you know, it's, but, you know, we are still a part of this community and we are here advocating for them on an everyday basis and we're going through it our own way as well some days. And so, you know, we still experience it in our own ways a lot of the time. And so many, just like you said, like so many times, like we're walking around being advocates a lot of the time, but there are days where it's like, we just want to be like, Hey, we just want to be mom and dad. I don't want to have to teach you something just cause you came up to us and you know, I just, I don't want to have to teach you that this is how it is. I just want to be. Kristen and Eddie or mom and dad to, you know, our kids, or there are days where we just have to, we really have had to have conversations with each other multiple times where we've said, listen, today was really hard, but unfortunately this is the world we're in. And we have to know that this is just the job we have, that it's to teach someone who, and we've said this many, many times on the, on the show, the word ignorant and not in a negative way. Ignorant literally just means they don't know as much, but like we, it's our job to just teach someone who's more, who's ignorant to something to just learn more about it. Ignorance is dangerous. Yeah. It's our job to just teach somebody something. And it's, I didn't ask for the job. It's the job I have as a parent. And if I don't do it, my son and daughter aren't going to learn that job and they're not going to teach they're not going to be advocates for themselves. Well, I just would like, first, I really want to honor what you're saying and your honesty, because so often I think even parents have to kind of come off like these angels. Well, and, not that. You know, or, <laughs> yeah. But, but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you're so inspirational. It's like, no, actually I'm really having a crappy day, you know, oh, yeah. and, and we all deserve that. And like, I've certainly said to my wife, Sarah, I just like, I want a day off. Yeah. Like I, you know, I don't want to leave the house, you know, I don't want to have to deal with the outside world. It's not like I, uh, I mean, it's better than Bay area because there's so many people with disabilities, mm. but it's sometimes it's like, I just want to day off from being disabled. Yeah. You can't like take it off and change it. We actually had this conversation in this house the other day and we're talking about something else and without getting all into it, but we were talking about our son and and Eddie had to kind of say, he can't take it off. He can't. And, and, and we are lucky, not lucky, but he, there are, you know, he, he has for lack of a better word, most of the time, a invisible disability, which I hate mm-hmm. as a word, but it really is like where, you know, if he's got jeans on that are a little bit baggier and he doesn't have his braces on and he's not walking around too much and he doesn't need mm-hmm. to go long distance, he's not using his wheelchair. You probably don't know he has a disability. Um, and so, but if he's at school, the kids at school know he does because he's walking around with them more. He's a little bit slower behind the other kids. They know he wears braces. You know, there's just, he walks differently. Mm-hmm. And so he can't take that off and be like everybody else. Like it's just not going to yeah. be like that. And so he's aware of that now he's older where he's understanding that. And so that just doesn't, it's just part. And he knows he goes to the bathroom differently. He knows everything. It just isn't going to go away. And mm-hmm. so, 
it's one of those conversations where like you can say any day, like, Oh, I'm anxious or this. And I under, those are real issues, but we can find coping mechanisms. We can, there's medication. There's lots of different things to kind of work through those things. There's nothing that he can work through that just going to make this easier. It's there. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) It's, It's his day. And, you know, I feel for him that, you know, the best I can say to him is there are just going to be easy days and there's going to be hard days. And we just have to get through the hard ones and enjoy the easy ones. And those are our days. There's not really any better things I can say for him. I mean, I think that we, all of us disabled or not, you got to cut yourself some slack. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you really just have a really lousy day and what you want to do is like, I just want to have dinner and, and climb into bed. Yeah. You know, or, and that it's okay. You don't have to be, um, you know, you don't have to be, you know, super person every day and that it's good to really feel your feels. Yeah. The the most important thing, and Nicole and I really had this kind of as our one word that was really a guiding light for us throughout the making of the film and even past that, which is the word community. And that we found community at camp. Yeah. We found people found community and trust in the other people that were sitting in for 26 days in that federal building so many years ago. Oh, yeah. And that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You need, especially when you're younger, to see things modeled for you. I always think that role model as a wheelchair user is kind of a funny you know, term. <laughs> it's but it's, you know, it's really the truth. And that's what I needed. And that's what I got at Camp Jeanette. Yeah. Seeing these people with disabilities as counselors and other folks who had lives. Yes. And, and so, and so I think there's a balance between like being mainstreamed and, you know, and being, you know, with all the other, every, all the other kids. Yeah. But I think there's also some real benefit to things like sports programs. Yeah. Like wheelchair basketball or other things that I know that I did. I did wheelchair. I did some wheelchair sports when I was in my twenties because I certainly didn't have anything for me when I was in high school, but that, that kind of socializing with other people and, and um, is just really, really, really important. Yeah. Just seeing, I think that we actually saw that happen for real in this house. Like we, Eddie was, I mean, he's younger, so he wasn't real into doing, you know, much of anything. He was probably like five, five, four mm-hmm. and a half, five. And, wow. We were hit, but his sister was doing a lot of different sports and we are part of a program here, CHD that does some, um, disability programs and disability advocacy. And they do, um, wheelchair basketball. They do, what other, they do just lots of different ones and they do sled, they do sled hockey and they kind of invited us to be a part of it. And he was so tiny and we were like, Oh, we'll try it. And he wasn't real interested and it was cold and he didn't really want to do it. And so at first we weren't going to push him. And then we kind of just kept saying, let's just keep going. Let's keep going. And then we met another, we met um, a, a gentleman who is, I say gentleman to me, he's a kid, but he's like 19 and he's on the the USA sled hockey team and he's local and he has spina bifida and he. Number 19, Kyle's it. That's all it took. That's all it took for my son to be 
sled hockey all the time. Like all I wanted to do is sled hockey, like Kyle, Kyle all the time. And in that, you know, in that sled on the ice chasing Kyle, like if Kyle was there, he was there. If Kyle was going to come visit, if Kyle was going to be on the ice, he wanted to hang out with Kyle. I can't and wait to show him how fast I am. Show how fast he was. And then it, now Eddie plays too with him to tr- like try it out. And so I get excited to show how Kyle, yeah. you know, show how fast I am. So, <laughs> I not, can't turn it all. Not, I just go really fast right into the wall. Right, right into the wall. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Still not as fast as Kyle, but <laughs> it's pretty cool. But yeah, just that, you know, something I wouldn't have thought about. I would have pushed him. I would have just been, oh, never mind. But it was that connection of seeing somebody do it. Somebody accomplish it like him. And then say, oh, okay, yeah. And, you know, he, cause he just thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. It's not for me. He needed to see it. You know, he needed to see it modeled for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, and yeah. And the other thing, you know, I, I wanted to point out that I just think it's a little off topic, but I wanted to say that, you know, everybody that I thought in the film that I think really stood out to me, and it's a testament for how wonderfully you guys, you know, set out that film showed everybody had a voice. There isn't anybody at that camp, anybody at the sit-ins, anybody in the, that just didn't have a voice, mm-hmm. you know, and that really just showed that because I think so often people with disabilities don't get a voice because it's assumed they don't need one or they don't have one. And as a parent or, and an advocate in this community, I have so many friends with children and that people just assume they don't have a voice. They don't have something to say. Yeah. They're living in people are living in this world. They have something to say. And it was really, not only was it amazing to see everyone had a voice, but most they're all, I mean, everyone was so, kids. You know, I mean, even counsel, those counselors are all kids in this film. I mean, I'm an adult. So to me, they're all kids. <laughs> like everybody in that yeah, film yeah, is yeah, a child. Yeah. You know, they're all kids under, you know, 20 or something kids. Um, it was pretty exciting to kind of just see everyone had a voice. And I, I'm a firm believer that giving people voices helps make change. I, I don't think there would have been so much change happening and so much advocacy to this day with everybody in that film if there wasn't everyone having that opportunity. Yeah. But no one was going to give those folks the, the voice. Yeah. They had to go out and demand it and keep pushing and pushing and pushing and putting their lives in danger mm-hmm. to make that happen. Cause yeah, I mean, and this is stigma. This is why it's so important for films and television shows to be made. Yeah. That really show us we're, who we are and what we and what we are, what you're capable of. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, some horrible films that I, you know, keep on getting made about, you know, I don't know. I didn't want to give them the light of day. Exactly. There's a lot of (laughs) negative tropes. There's a lot of negative tropes around disability that really have no place uh, uh, in filmmaking or on anybody's screen anymore. Yeah. We want to see some change in filmmaking and, and I, I know I want to see out there more documentaries and things like that, but I want to see it for the positive. And I know you had mentioned that, you know, there, pe- there's a tendency for people to kind of go out and make a negative out of it and 
have that rhetoric of like the, what I've like noticed, like the pity, like documentary in a way of, you know, making it look negative. I don't, I hate it. I don't, I'm not a fan of it. We could unpack this one issue around kind of representation of people with disabilities in the media. Um, and it would take us a couple of hours. Yeah. So, or at least that's the way it feels to me as somebody who's worked in, in film and television for a long time. Um, it, I think that the, what I want to see changed is uh, representation and misrepresentation being um, actually authentic. And so some of the examples of real negative films are, are the kind of the tropes that we have seen over the years. And I'm certainly, you know, uh, you know, they are the inspirational stories or the, you know, the story of pity or overcoming all odds yeah. and, or being what, what we joke is like, well, here's this super cripple who <laughs> climbed half dome with his pinkies and my gosh, you know, Everybody, you can do it. There's no reason for you There's not no to reason. be able to. The only you know, disability is a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> the inspirational exactly. porn. Yeah, well, we're talking about Stella Young, right? I mean, have you seen her TED Talk? Yes. Stella Young, yeah, and um, may she rest in peace. But there's that incredible TED Talk that she did on inspiration porn. And when I'm talking with people or realizing there's some things that they could really benefit from learning about disability and, and kind of, you know, I mean, sending people to that Ted talk is one of the things I do. Yeah. So sending people over to uh, Alice Wong's website, the disability visibility project is extremely important also. And I mean, these are just two of hundreds of resources that, you know, one can point folks to in regards to saying you may think you understand, but unless you understand the concepts between uh, beyond, uh, you know, about inspiration porn, or that if you don't really d- dive deeply into disability justice, you don't know enough, right? And that, and so, and this is aimed at like. Hollywood and you know producers and directors and writers yeah and, and so when you look at films like maybe for you in which this guy, character this guy who becomes a quadriplegic and is filthy rich he falls in love with this woman who's kind of going to supposed to be his caretaker and but still decides that you know even after all this wonderful stuff I still want to go into I don't know Switzerland yeah to become euthanized it's like why yeah why i mean why would you want to have that be a story right you would put your name on as a director or a producer or a studio exactly why what is the purpose of this how is that possibly doing anything good in the world exactly because it's not yeah because there are people making decisions about us as people with disabilities who will see these, this film and think, boy, I got to tell you, I just, you know, that's such a horrible life. And boy, can I really relate and thank God I saw this film because now I really understand what it's like to become a quadriplegic. 
Yeah. And, and it's, so, and that's, it's so not the story. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and how yeah. do you want to be even the actor in that movie? It's just, there's, there's so many people at play. It's, it, this isn't just an op-ed piece and one person's writing it and maybe one person's publishing it. And so there's two people making a misstep. There's a lot of people at play making a movie or making, you know, where all of these people are signing off on something and there's a bunch of actors involved and where it's tough for me to kind of get behind something when someone just goes, Oh, that was a misstep. I, I really wasn't thinking that one through when I'm like, all of these people were involved in making this happen. And I can't, it's hard for me to think that everybody wasn't thinking that one through <laughs> someone didn't just put their hand up and go, this doesn't sit right. I'm not quite sure. This is the story. This is, this doesn't, I don't think this is how someone's full life goes. <laughs> you know, like this is, it just isn't how someone's story is. You know, I think that when anyone's writing a book or a story or a screenplay or anything, you're writing it because it's, I mean, obviously things are fiction, but usually writing something 99% of the time, even when it's far fiction, because it's based on some sort of storyline. So people can you relate know, to it. You know, I could be wrong about this because I, I literally know about this, this particular film just by what other people have told me. I can like guess which film we're talking about and I definitely didn't see it, but I definitely know. No, what no, we're talking I'm talking about. about you before me, before yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, that, and, uh, but I believe, and everybody can fact, fact check me on this. I don't think that's how the book ended. Yeah. Oh, so it was like an interpretation yeah. of, oh. yeah, <laughs> that, that so, makes me a little sadder okay. for who wrote the book. Well, I got to say that who was in the room? I mean, when you're not in the room, this kind of stuff happens. Yeah. And so when we're not in the writer's rooms, when we're not in the boardrooms, when we're not uh, producers, when we're not yeah. directors, um, this is going to happen. And it's, I'm sorry, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pausing my words because um, I feel the pain. Yeah. I feel the pain because I can also see how this is played out in the world. And, you know, what we need isn't like everything is just fine. doesn't matter if you're, you know, a quadriplegic now, your life will, you know, go on. Hey, don't worry about it. No, it's a big deal. It's, it's, uh, you know, you don't want this to happen, but what you want people to know is the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. And you want people to see films and see people who are not, who are relatable, who are yes. not like untouchables in that they're either, like I mentioned this, like, you know, super athletes or that they are people who are just pitiful and have given up. Yes. You know, you need to see this film would not be so, damaging if there were a hundred other films right in which the disability experience was was shown and we could see a wide breadth of storylines and experiences um you know i i wouldn't find it as harmful if that wasn't one of the you know the few things that we see well i think that's um, in, key in media 
I think it's key that, you know, you, you just kind of hit the nail on the head there. There's two things where one is, you know, represent, you know, representation matters. Being in the room matters. We do not, we say this across the board and it's not just in the disabilities community. It's my, you know, being a minority, you know, of the world in general, whether it's the color of your skin or your sexual orientation or having a disability or whatever it might be, you're not in the room when these decisions are being made, you're not getting represented as a whole. And it honestly, it, whether you're in the room or not, it shouldn't matter. We should just be representing. But unfortunately, the way that it is, is you have to be in the room to get heard. So let's put people in the rooms so that things can get the change can happen. And the big thing, I think the second part of that is we've kind of said this before and we've noticed it when we watch like I'm like a big fan of like BBC TV and things like that is a lot of what we do see when we do see things on TV, movies and and film is it's the the disability or whatever it might be first. The storyline is that first and the rest of the story second versus the storyline first and the disability maybe is just there. I'm not, I think I would love to just see more of, I think that's important too sometimes depending on the storyline where maybe there's a storyline where the disability is part of the storyline because that's the story. But I also think that there should just be, we've seen so many other things on British TV that I've watched or other European TV shows where there are actors in shows that have disabilities and that is not even a conversation. It's not even addressed. They're just actors and they probably just auditioned for a part. It wasn't written into the script. Um, I would love to see more of that type of representation here in the United States. I think it's really, really important because that's, how the change happens, I think more because then it just becomes crazy to say the norm. I mean, I think that if you look at other marginalized communities and seeing how, what has happened to them over the course of the last 30, 40 years on television film, you know, it, it, you, you can see, a, uh, I think a parallel between what's happening with people with disabilities. And now, mm-hmm. you know, my gosh, on television, you know, 40 years ago, you know, if there was a character who was African American, it often was around, it was about their experience, uh, as opposed to them just happening to be a shop owner or just happening to, you know, yeah. you know that they are, you know, a fireman. It was like, man, the system and the man and all yeah. sorts of other crap. The token, and we, and, and so yeah, so we're like, well, not even just token that the reason that they're in this show is because they're going to talk about their experience versus them being just simply part of society. And I, I think we're 30 years behind mm. in all of this. I, I joke with, with people that I am looking forward to the day when I'm watching a TV show and behind in the back, there's a one armed barista making somebody an espresso drink. Yes. And it's just that, you know, that person is there. Just an extra. It, yeah, it yeah. is. And, but yet audiences, I think, are going to see, need to see more and more of people with disabilities simply as part of the background or part of characters and stuff. Um, before you get people 
stop worrying about that being distracting. Yeah. Now, how do you think that we can speed that up? I mean, I know I see we've kind of sped things up a little bit when it comes to like sports. You know, we see a lot of outreach in the community with, you know, the disabilities community with sports and encouraging youth to kind of get more involved there. Do you see a way to kind of get youth more involved in film and television to kind of really boost that? I mean, we spoke with Mindy from Runway of Dreams and now they're working with Gamut uh, Management. And I know she's kind of pushing the envelope there a little bit to kind of get people more involved with the, you know, it's more print and a little bit of film and television, but you know, is that kind of the way to do it to kind of get more kids involved a little bit and outreach that way to speed things up? Um, well, yeah, I, I think that film is a great way to go about it. And, um, I was very fortunate. I feel fortunate that I was asked to be a judge on this year's Easter Seals um, uh, film challenge. And, and it's all about making a five minute film over, you know, a a short period of time and that it needs to be uh, about disability or have disabled people, you know, either as directors or in it. And, you know, they were, really some really top notch films there. Wow. I mean, very well shot, great graphics, interesting use of animation, wonderful performances and, and people being very, very authentic. And I, I just, I mean, I just loved what I saw. Mm. And, and so, um, I, yeah. And I, I think that as, as we, you know, are in, I think we all touch other people in our lives, right? And if you can advocate for people, and if you see apprenticeships or you see some kind of training program, you know, ask who are the people with disabilities that are part of your group? Oh, we don't, we don't have anybody. Um, We don't know where to find them. Uh, Well, you haven't tried, well, you haven't tried hard enough. Yeah. Or, well, shucks, we're up a flight of stairs. It was, it was the only place we could find that we could afford. Really? Yeah. You made that decision, did you? Hmm. Put, the, why, put the pressure on. Why? Yeah. In other words, you can call it out. You can call it out and be nice about it. You can be call it out and be unhappy about it. But until people call out discrimination and tell people that the status quo is no longer valid, and it's harmful. And it's kind of one of those things, you know, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. Things will not change as quickly. Now, I, I say this very cavalierly. I think it's tough sticking your neck out and being the one that raises their hand or stops somebody from talking when you realize they're excluding people with disabilities. Yeah. But I think that we all in our, in our own ways can, find ways to be advocates and speak up. Yeah. And, and I think that it's a set right now. I think there's a lot of fire in the world right now about looking at diversity and inclusion and that seeing more and more film festivals and companies and all sorts of other places 
looking at disability and not just kind of shying away from it and thinking that it's too hard or not realizing that it's important to include people with disabilities in their diversity uh, agenda. Yeah, I mean, how did, that happen? how did that happen? It isn't charity. No, it's it's people saying, you know, if you really want to say that you really are socially conscious, that you really do care about how we're treating people and not excluding people. You can't avoid the issue of disability. Yeah. And it's not impossible to deal with it. You just have to be willing to do it. And, and if you feel uncomfortable I'm sure you felt uncomfortable about other areas around us about diversity. Do it. Stop it. Yeah. Now's the time. There's not another time. Like you, you can't wait to make that decision. I mean, or we're going to continue to wait. I think, you know, we've seen that with, you know, other, other times and other issues. It's just, you wait until the cup boils over and, you know, at what point are you just like, okay, now's the time. And I think, I, and, and you can't wait till it affects you. And that's the big thing we've learned. I mean, w- both of us have been kind of the type of people, even before we had children, advocates in the disabilities community, obviously more so now that we have children, but both of us have been. And I think that was probably something we learned from our parents and just part of our nature, but really we've learned now with our children, it's like we need to kind of just, when we talk with other people, as we meet people, it's just like, this isn't affecting just our family. This affects everybody around us because that's the thing that's tricky about this community is that yes, you know, my son was born with a disability, but you might wake up tomorrow and get hit by a truck and be a paraplegic. And so now it's part of your community too. Or you might, someone you're related to might, you know, it's just, it, it, this is, and it's the largest minority. So it's not really a minority. So let's just get on board and stop making it a minority in a way of excluding everybody. And let's just make this part of the conversation, I think is so important. I think you can rephrase it and say, stop making it's a community that's marginalized. Yes. You know, it's like indeed, you know, yeah, if you look at statistics, maybe one out of, you say one out of four people um, have disabilities, but it's, uh, you know, it's something that cuts across all strata of society and we are a club that anybody can join at any time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's just, and I, I think this all the time and that's just, you know, quote unquote disabilities that are being whatever you want to say, like tracked. There are so many people going through depression or anxiety or any other struggles that might have their own special needs or, or difficulties that really fall under the same difficulties and have the same type of things that might we also can have conversations about and they're sitting at home and having a lot of the same troubles that somebody else might be having and they're not having conversations because they feel like they they don't belong to the same kind of community and they're being marginalized in the same way you know mental health issues I feel like all the time just get overlooked because they don't feel like they belong part of that of a community 
And I think I think that I think that also the fear and stigma around yes. mental health issues or developmentally yes. uh, developmental issues are so great and so overpowering that it's not like people are overlooking it. It's like I don't know how to deal with this. And yeah. it's like again, it's the same thing with disability or other groups that one stigmatize. Um, you don't know. Yeah. You really don't know. Yeah. All you hear about are in the news or media or what makes for exciting television. All right. Are people who, oh my God, he went off his meds, you know, you know, there's yeah. bloodshed all over the place. And it's just like, please. Yeah. For the love of God. Exactly. Like, please. We should just be a community. And if someone's going through something, we're just there for each other, period. End of conversation. It really doesn't matter what it is. And I mean, what I mean, we're a society in human nature of community. I mean, it's literally part of our genetics. So I'm not sure when we're seeing it during COVID for sure. Or we're coming like, I mean, people, even with like schooling, they're all like creating these little community schooling type atmospheres now while some parents have to go to work and other parents are virtually schooling and everyone's kind of creating these little virtual school community type atmospheres. And they're all getting back to this whole idea of community. Now is the time to remember that that's what's in our, you know, human nature. You know, a lot of, you know, anthropologists will say like there's tribes that like one all the women raise all the children doesn't matter whose child yours they're all raising all the children mm-hmm. that's the community we need to remember that we are and just be taking care of our own which is each of us doesn't really matter what's going on we should just be taking care of each other and caring about each other that's my well. soapbox <laughs> <laughs> yeah well so unfortunately that's not the kind of world we live in right now or you know that's why they write science fiction well hopefully little things and everybody kind of does their part and we slowly get to a good spot i think definitely i you know documentaries like what you guys have put out really hits home for people and i know it did for us and i know even people we've spoken to and we've referred to the documentary have said it was def- even more than what they expected. It's hit home for them. It's made a difference for them. And beyond just the story and the, I say characters, because everybody in your documentary is such a character and has such a wonderful personality. <laughs> but, you know, the history behind the 504 and how you guys got there and how we've gotten there is just such a fantastic story that, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, it should be in everybody's history books. You know, these are things we all need to know on how we got here. Um, so I think it's, you know, we throw out the word 504 so often in our house. And so I think it's yeah. really exciting that, you know, you get to hear the history behind how everything becomes something. Um, so, you know, that I think is really awesome. Nicole and I had a wonderful experience. Um, we, when we premiered the film at the Sundance Film Festival in January and a family comes and Nicole and I are going up Main Street, going someplace and the family comes over to us and says, you know, my kids are part of the 504 generation. And I never heard somebody talk about it that way, but generation 504 instead of generation Generation X. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And now we have, you know, generation 88. 
Yeah. And, um, and <laughs> uh, just, it made me really happy. I mean, you guys, you know, had a part in creating that, which is really, really cool. Well, you know, I, I am grateful to be part of telling this story of the history of our community and this, and this one story. Um, uh, but, um, I, you know, I may have mentioned this earlier, but there's thousands of stories. Yeah. And this is one particular story about a moment in time and a group of people that all met at this incredible summer camp. And, um, and I think it's a lesson that one person can really start a movement. Yeah. And certainly there was a disability rights movement before, um, Judy and not the other people that you see, Judy human and the other people we see in the film, but it's literally, you know, you or anybody listening to this could start a movement within their own community. Yeah. And you and don't, you never know that. what it'll create. You never know the power of collaboration. I've seen it played out over and over in my life that, you know, when you're collaborating with somebody, you know, one, one plus one does not equal two. It's greater than two. Yeah. And, and it is, um, it very, very quickly becomes so powerful or it can become so powerful. And, um, so I, <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I just, I just think that we live in a very uh, complex and amazing time right now, and it's full of um, sadness and cruelty, but also hope and possibilities, and that um, we've got an ability to communicate uh, amongst ourselves that is so much more immediate and close than we had back in the 1970s or really even in the, you know, in the nineties, yeah. you know, my gosh, when Judy human, you know, and disabled in action, we're trying to gather people together for a demonstration. They used a phone tree, you know, one person calls somebody else and that person calls two other people who then call two other people or three other people. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, and all of a sudden you're reaching, you know, a hundred people in a short period of time. So, um, it's possible. Yeah, for sure. So one thing, Jim, we ask all of our guests, although you have given some amazing advice tonight, um, (laughs) is if you have 30 seconds to speak to our community, what advice would you give them? Find your tribe, find your community. Um, Take care of yourself. I think we live under this pressure that we have to excel harder and and higher than anybody else just to have a a level playing field. But you also have to make sure that you're not, um, you're not hurting yourself. Yeah. And that you love yourself. And, um, and, uh, so finding that balance for me has been a lifelong struggle, but it is something I've learned later in life, how important it is. Yeah, so that's great. And yeah. So love yourself. I like it. So what, um, so what's next for, I mean, I know you guys are just kind of wrapping up the Crip Camp virtual experience. What's kind of on the agenda next for you for Crip Camp? 
What's kind of you down know, the line? Nicole and I are, are both kind of looking at what projects we may want to work on, move on to. We're in discussions about this wonderful community that has rallied around our film. And and then it's been sparked by these virtual crip camps every Sunday afternoon. And we're just starting to really kind of consider what we'd like to do in 2021 and how we might be able to fund that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you've heard the last of us beyond. Certainly you're not going to be hearing the last of us okay. after the last uh, virtual camp happens um, at the end of August. And um you know, doors have been opening for all of us and myself, and I want to continue to do working in television and um, and film. Awesome. Either as a writer or a producer or as a director, and um, I I get some interesting emails every once in a while. So good. I mean, I don't think I think this is another chapter. I mean, I think it's like a whole new beginning in a way. I think I'm excited to see kind of what it unrolls and unfolds for you guys and the community as a whole kind of excited. Literally, literally in the last couple of months, I've seen so many great things on social media about people who've gotten jobs or uh, a company has started an initiative or that people, you know, there are other shows that are in development now Yeah, that I am like, Wow, there was none of this going on a couple of years ago. Yeah. At least, at least I wasn't aware of it. No. Hey, look at what's happening now. Yeah. You know? And so I think there's a bright future out there and that, you know, um, I, and I'm really, I'm, I, I really believe that uh, things are really just going to improve and, uh, and we should really enjoy this moment in time and, and be hopeful about the future. Awesome. I'm excited. So where can we find everything? Um, I think it's just cryptcamp.com, right? Yeah. Cryptcamp.com. Um, there's a lot of good information there awesome. and, uh, uh, lesson plans and such and other resources. So that's a good way. And, um, certainly you can also get a hold of us through info at Cryptcamp.com. Perfect. And we'll link everything on all of our sites and our social media and everything and make sure that we put it all out there for all our listeners. That'd be great. Make sure you uh, put a link to uh, Disability Visibility Project. Perfect. We will do that. I think it's a wonderful. And Judy Human, who um, uh, has a memoir that's out. Awesome. Becoming Human. And uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful, I think it's a read that a lot of people would really, really love. Definitely. We will do that. Awesome. Thanks so much, well, Jim. Thanks. We appreciate everything. And for you uh, jumping back on with us after our mini uh, weather Hurricane. incident, <laughs> we appreciate your time. Well, thank you. I really, really enjoyed this and I, I love you guys. You're great. Oh, thanks. And, uh, I, I hope you have continued success and and everybody, everybody spread the word about this. Yes. You guys are yeah. fantastic. Yeah. All right. Please do. Well, thank you. If, well, we, if we, I can get yeah. Eddie back out to California, we'll, we'll try to oh, yeah. hit you up because it's my favorite place. <laughs> There's just up. so Come many people. Yeah. It's my, that's the point. I don't like a lot of people. <laughs> well, thanks for your time, Jim. Really, we appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Take care of you too. All right. Have thanks, a good Jim. one. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to sign off now. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. 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 <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, please make sure you share with a friend and leave a review. You can find all the resources mentioned in this episode on our Facebook or Instagram on at special about special. Thanks again. And we'll see you soon.